Shut up and sit down. I am a, a radical libertarian. And we don't want the government to do a damn thing. The current state of politics is unsustainable politically, economically. You deserve better. It is about supporting, platforming, and, and assisting the people who are out here actually doing the fight. You just take an issue that's important to you and do something. There you go. You are part of that declaration against tyranny. Because no one brings tear gas to a gunfight. This conversation gives me a little more hope for the future. The one, the only. Fight for liberty. This is the cherry on top. This is FSM. Hello, hello. This is Fight for Liberty. I'm your host, David Fight. I'm here to get you fired up about the men and women out there making the world a freer place through politics, activism, business, and more. And we are streaming live on free speech media. So if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or any of those old evil social media platforms, click the link that's going to be in your description. Go on over, watch this on Rumble. They pay their people better. They're less likely to demonetize and delete our content. And if you're already on Odyssey or Rumble, go ahead and just like give yourself a high five. We call that a ginger high five because, you know, they don't have friends. Uh, but tonight I am joined by a guy who has the social audio platforms a buzz for quite some time now. But first, we're going to get into our sponsors real quick. First up, a lot of Tyrants Wine now has an energy drink. You might have seen me drinking it throughout some of these episodes previously i'll be drinking it throughout the night tonight but if you are looking for a nice night in or an energetic day out you can get both from blood of tyrants and uh still 10 percent off either one with the promo code fsm so if you're looking to help take down the tyrannical state while sipping on the blood of your enemies look no further than blood of tyrants dot wine they're a great organization great company and i am super happy to have them as a sponsor but without further ado, we're going to get on to our show. Tonight, I have a great guest. He is the host or founder and often host of Healthy Debates over on Twitter, Clubhouse, and wherever you get your social audio. So, Roger Mayhem, welcome to the show. What's up, David? How are you? I am doing great. So I always like to start off with a little bit of like a testimonial type question. So I'm curious, what started your descent uh, into like counterculture kind of stuff? Counterculture? Huh. How, how do you define counterculture? Because I, I, I may plead innocent or guilty here. <laughs> well, just the, uh, I guess the general uh, questioning everything kind of thing of, you know, uh, that I feel like most of us in the movement kind of uh, gravitate towards just uh, either being unsure of what everyone is doing or telling you or just kind of being a little bit different, whether that's like music or TV or or comedy or something like that. I feel like most of us kind of started off through one of those and then eventually found politics. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, good question. So... I grew up, I was raised by depression era grandparents that had uh, these ideas about the world that are much different than mine or yours. And 
<clears throat> but we grew up in in a uh, in, in a hood of uh, of the Bay Area that was uh, heavily Hispanic, and my my homies, my running dogs, were all a bunch of Mexican kids from the hood, and so uh, I, I guess my my world was a little confusing because I had. Uh, I, I had Caucasian grandparents in the Hispanic neighborhood that are telling me the world is a particular way. And then I'm running around the streets behaving in a different way and learning that, uh, there, there's, there's a, there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to be learned by hanging out without groups. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. And by hanging out with an out group, um, and being part of an out group uh, with, within that community, you just start realizing certain things. So uh, like the way that police would treat me when I'm uh, with my Caucasian friends versus uh, the way they would treat me when I'm with my Hispanic friends. Uh, I think that was my first uh, realization that uh, not everybody in this world is treated the same. And, uh, and, and so then you have to figure out your own uh, biases. And one of the biases that I had was that, uh, you know, we didn't like the guys from the South side of town. And so we had our own little in-group and out-group uh, problems, if you will. And so I grew up, I was a, I was, I was just, I was just a mixed up kid. And, uh, and, and so by the time I started learning about philosophy in my early twenties, I was already, uh, kind of, uh, confused about you know who am i and you know and, and what is my place in this world and uh the thing that resonated with me is that uh individualism kind of matters uh and and so it doesn't necessarily um matter so much to me what group somebody is in as long as uh, as long as you're 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 getting to the heart of the individual, and so that was really the thing that kind of shaped it uh, for me. But that doesn't mean that you don't recognize that groups are treated a particular way. The realization was that we shouldn't treat groups a particular way, and and so there's the world that I wanted to live in and the world that I did live in, and I'm still navigating that today. And so in my politics. I just try to reject as much as I can the idea that, uh, uh, you know, that, that the group comes first and I try to put the individual first. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that, that's really where, where, where I would say uh, the core of my beliefs come from is that if we look at people as individuals, we tend to have better outcomes. Hell yeah. Could not, could not agree more on that one. I think, uh, I definitely it was later in life before I actually uh you know started hanging out with people of a different color than me really at all um I grew up in a very 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 white town in upstate New York we had a few uh not white families but even like the only black kids I knew growing up were like homeschoolers who wore jean skirts and like I knew them from the library so like you know it it still was it wasn't any kind of like other culture or anything like that and so like even our cops weren't all that racist because you know there weren't any black people to be racist against so they were shitty to white people and so 
actually like really early on i would hear about like uh police brutality and the kind of racism of cops and i'm like i just watched my white friend get the shit beat out of him by the cops around here so that's not true and then i moved to new york city and was like oh wow they're getting beat up way worse here <laughs> and like what i thought police brutality was which is still like obviously a huge like overstep of uh authority and power and all of those other things but it was just nothing compared to what probably you grew up around or or what i ended up experiencing after i moved out of small white town um but yeah the um the the collectivization of culture is definitely one of the major things that pushed me to just start questioning everything that i was being told because you know, if you're going to tell me that all black people are the same or all white people are the same, and why should I believe it when you say, you know, all uh, Republicans are the same? So I started looking into that, and I was like, well, actually, you know, there's some of these guys like Ron Paul who make sense, and there's the other ones that don't. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. My introduction into, I guess, uh, the liberty movement was reading Ayn Rand and which is an interesting way to get there uh especially like with my background and the people I were hanging out with uh you you read Atlas Shrugged and you're like what the hell is this and uh it, I, I don't think after thinking about it a, a lot because back in 94 when I read that and it had a very big impact on me but I, I it's kind of a process to unpack uh, it, it, in the beginning, I just thought, wow, everything she says makes so much sense to me. Uh, th this, this just feels like she's not necessarily telling me how the world works, but confirming what I already believe to be true about the world, but putting it in way in words that, you know, I, I'm just not clever enough to, you know, to organize my thoughts in. And so it, it was it was really impactful. And then that led me to think about like, OK, well, I've read that and that kind of tuned me in. So what else should I read? And that's when I started like learning about economics and political theory and, and getting into, uh, you know, uh, philosophy specific, more specifically British philosophers and that sort of thing. And that. Yeah, I, I've identified as a small L libertarian it, to some degree or another since 1994. Uh, and I've, yeah, and I, I've resisted joining any political party uh, because I didn't think that they were effective. I didn't think that they represented me. Uh, and including the Libertarian Party uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, circa mid '90s, you go and you meet up with some Libertarians, and you realize, like, okay, this is probably not my crowd. Hmm. And and it wasn't until I started hearing people like Larry Sharp and Spike Cohen that that, that presented things. They were using language that, in my professional life resonated with me like a culture of winning mm. and uh it, it, that that resonated with me because uh the libertarian party it from my assessment uh it seemed like they openly embraced a culture of losing and uh and 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 to be honest uh i i think they always have and they always will um 
I, I don't believe that there's a deep desire among um, people that are involved in the movie. We're too confused in this movement to decide even what it is we want to do. The, the mere question of like, what should the political party be responsible for? What should the, you know, what should national do? What should the state do? Uh, you know, how do you advance liberty? What's the best way to do it? Everybody's got their own idea. And honestly, like the work doesn't really line up with the ideas and there's just far too few people that have knowledge, skills, and ability that are showing up. Because that's the other thing is showing up. Mm-hmm. And then when you realize that, holy moly, it's it's just it's a it's a small group of people. It's it's smaller than a smaller than a softball team. You know, when you start thinking about like county affiliates and whatnot, and pushing that ball up the hill is a hard task in and of itself. But then when the people that are on your team don't even necessarily agree with each other about some pretty core things, I I think one of the things that's disillusioned me about the movement itself is that uh, it's so broad that I like I don't know what we agree upon. I mean, we we have people (laughs) that, uh, you know, that represent the far left, represent the far right. Uh, abandon the, any construct of left or right, and I, I don't think I've, I've seen an ideology that's not represented in the liberty movement. And so then I have to ask, like, what is the through line? I know what my through line is, yeah. but I, in order to bring people together, I don't know what it is. So may, I mean, you're smarter than I am. Maybe you can help me figure it out. I, uh, I mean, that's. <laughs> I'd love to, but that's a whole, whole fucking conversation <laughs> that I've been trying to have for a while. Uh, it's funny. I was actually, I got into like a couple hours long, uh, only a few tweets back and forth, but they were, we were both kind of slow to respond to each other uh, argument throughout most of this afternoon about uh, the, what the purpose of the national party is. Um, and and now I'm I'm very strongly that there isn't one thing, and that's what they were, I was arguing about because they were saying that that they should only be working on ballot access, and every other expenditure is uh, like irresponsible. I'm just like, no, you're dumb. Um, but to go back to the like the culture of winning that you were just talking about, I'm gonna uh, miniature promo here because uh, for those that don't know, we're an hour later than normal this week because I just got off of a you are the power training call with spike cohen who and you know 50 something other people who uh and he was explaining kind of why you are the power exists and and what we're they're trying to do as far as fix it not fixing the liberty movement that's a mean way to say it but um you know giving a better outlet than than maybe an actual political party and uh went went over fairly thoroughly the current culture of losing and the culture of winning that we want to build for the liberty movement and yet that's i'm i'm with you that's one of the the major things that it's not what got me in but it's what kept me around because i worked for larry sharp less than a year and a half after i joined the party so that it was it was pretty quick that i got in and then met larry and then you know i was like okay people like this people who are confident and and salesy and public speakers and actually good at this stuff um i can i can stay with a group like this at least for a while yeah no i 
I, I think that there's some people that do a really good job of uh, infusing optimism. I, I don't know what it is about the liberty movement that uh, I, maybe it's that people have gravitated uh, towards the liberty movement because they've given up or because they're just nihilists. I have no idea, but th there's just so much pessimism and I can't deal with that anymore. I, I, if, if, if we're going to have any success in moving the needle on things we care about and like, we don't even have to get into specifics about what those things are, but um we certainly could, but if, for, for me, it might be different than the people that are listening or for you. Uh, but in order to have success to move the ball, you have to have a plan. And some people are good at having an idea. They have that spark. Then you have to have the execution. And that's where a lot of people fall down, and including myself, because it's hard. Uh, volunteering to do something uh, is, is a difficult task. You, you know, you're not getting paid. And you're asking people to show up to do something that they care about, they're passionate about it. But then when they don't see the results, how often are they going to show up? And so um, I think there's a vacuum that needs to uh, needs needs to be sorted out uh, because when people come into the movement, they are so excited to do something. They almost don't even care what. Mm -hmm. They're just excited to do something and they need to be pushed in a direction but, but then even if that happens, there's got to be some level of success. And I, I would love to see a blueprint of somebody that's doing it successfully where they could say, hey, look, somebody showed up. We gave them an easy task and they did it. Right. It's like it's like day one of school. You know, you know, maybe it's just put your name on the paper. OK, 10 four, you did that. Great. You get an A plus for the day. You get your gold star because the, the hearts, it, it's going to get progressively harder to do anything. Uh, but man, can we, can we get people to show up? Can you hold a sign? Can you wave a sign? Not that waving signs is going to change the world. Uh, but I think it, it starts that culture of like, Hey, we're getting together and we're doing something. Can you lick an envelope? You know, can, can yes. you put the stamp on the envelope? And, and if you'd start doing those things, then you can start stacking success. But I, I do, I've never seen a sustained effort. I've seen little moments, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, molten maneuver is something that I look at and I'm like, now there was a plan, very smart. There were some, a small number of people that were very dedicated and, and, and executed very well. And you had candidates and you had volunteers and you had strategy and it all came together and it worked. There's like one example of it. So there, I guess I, if we're looking for a blueprint, there's something, but then there's people that will naysay that and say that, uh, you know, oh, that was a gimmick. You know, how do you replicate that? Because not all states work the same. And it's like, okay, but what's, what? okay, maybe that doesn't work in your state. What will work in your state? Right. And that's not that like difficult of a question. Like the molten maneuver, because yeah, like molten maneuver doesn't work in New York. Like they're, they're, I was in LP happy hour last Friday, kind of arguing about kind of sort of this topic because this dude was just like, everybody needs to be running for those small, stupid, uh, uncontested races where some of those seats are just left vacant for years and years and years. And I'm like, that doesn't exist here. 
That just isn't a thing. All of those tiny little boards are appointed by the mayor and they can be as big or as small as the mayor wants them to be. And they're, they're, so there's no vacant seats. It's just a, a smaller board. And like there, there isn't an ability to do per se a molten maneuver in New York. But there's other ways to get people elected. And we actually won a county-wide uh, like partisan race a few years ago in New York State. We had a, we have a district, a libertarian district attorney in the state of New York at the moment. Um, and like, that's a thing that we were able to do. He was an ADA before. So, you know, not, not a full, like breaking down the bureaucracy per se. He's not the best, but he's definitely better than his boss was. He's so much better than either of the opponents were. Um, and so that county is now a better place to live marginally than it used to be, and thanks to the LP. Um, and yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of what you're talking about comes from just like time served almost. Uh, like if when you work on campaign after campaign after campaign that loses, you kind of have to start setting expectations better. Otherwise, you're going to do a thing that I'm not allowed to say on YouTube. Uh, you know, like if, if you're just like, cause, cause I watched it happen where like, you know, even me, I've, I haven't been in the party for that long, but I joined in 2015. And so watching, you know, Gary Johnson, he's going to win the presidency. I joined the party thinking that Gary Johnson was going to be the next president of the United States. There's no way that somebody that, that the majority of the country picks Trump or Hillary over these two, two term red governors from blue states who balanced their budget, increased the surplus, did all of these great things. They're amazing. They're awesome. I was a huge Bill Well fan at the time. Uh, also, I thought, you know, I knew very little about his resume. I just kind of knew the stuff that they were putting forward uh, on the campaign. And I was like, these guys are fucking fantastic. We're going to get this. And then we didn't. And then I worked for Larry Sharp. And I was like, Larry Sharp is going to be the next governor of the state of New York. <laughs> And holy boy, Jesus, was I wrong, right? Um, and so when Joe Jorgensen came around, there wasn't any delusion in my mind that Jorgensen was going to win. I was like, maybe we keep ballot access in New York. Maybe. And we didn't, right? Uh, she got like 56,000 votes. We need 300,000 to keep ballot access in the state of New York. Um, and so we weren't even close. And she might have gotten like 150, whatever. Um, she got less than Larry Sharp or Gary Johnson. Uh, and so like, I just, I, so I think especially there, there's a lot of people who've been doing this for 15, 20 years now where they, they're, they're just kind of, for their own mental health, they have to be pessimistic. Even though that sounds counterintuitive, uh, it's, it's almost beneficial. Um, and to the other point about like a sustained effort, I, I honestly, and this isn't even a shot at any one particular group, I blame all of that on cult, or caucus warfare and an internal drama. Like no one, no one has been able to stay in quote unquote power, uh, even at a state level for long enough to really like put forward a thing and move forward with it. And that goes all the way back to what you were talking about of like, finding the stuff that we agree on and just kind of 
setting a, a, a you know making those compromises setting a plan that makes everyone happy and like just just going for it i just don't know i don't know if we have a culture that will ever allow a sustained kind of bureaucracy to push forward a long-term agenda because that just reeks of corruption to us and so you know even the current people in power i don't think will last very long or a multitude of reasons but uh even if they were doing great even if dave was running they they there would be another takeover soon do do you think that the acceleration of uh the downfall of both the party and a particular caucus uh is is going to be uh it's going to be sped up by the backing of a particular uh candidate for president uh, let, let me actually read you a tweet that came out uh, today, uh, and, and you tell me if you think that this is where the Libertarian Party should be in terms of their presidential candidate. We are witnessing the formation of a death cult rallying behind the state of Israel to under, undertake human sacrifice on a massive scale. They sacrifice children to Moloch while being told that they're worshiping the Most High. Is that like, is that the kind of tweet that you think we would have gotten from? Is that Josh or Rec? That's that's Rec. Really? All right, interesting. Yeah, that's Rec. That sounds that sounds more like a Josh Smith tweet. Um... It sounded very New Hampshire to me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just curious though, with with messaging like that. Do you think, because messaging always becomes a thing, and and some people will say, oh, I like bold messaging. And then, and then if you and then if you you have uh, messaging that's pretty straightforward and just talks about principles, people will say that that's not bold enough. I believe you can be bold without sounding crazy. And I'm just wondering, do you think if if we had our act together and had somebody like Justin Amash running, is there a chance that you get a tweet like that from Justin? Well, no, no, definitely not from Justin. Um... I I th- I'm I'm honestly a very middle of the road person when it comes to this question because I really like both. Right? Like I love Justin Amash. I liked the Gary Johnson campaign. Obviously, I have some principled issues with some of the stuff Gary Johnson said, uh like we're only going to legalize marijuana. Uh you know, like like he he was a little too far in the other direction from for my personal taste. But even so, he had a really good, ca- solid, clean campaign that was professional and and whatnot. And I, and I still respect him a lot for that. Um, but I'm also you know good friends with most of the comms people in New Hampshire, right? And um, you know, like Reed Coverdale is one of my absolute best friends in the entire world. Love that guy to pieces. So. Like I, I am very. I I think we need to go both and, as far as the kind of radicalish, craziest messaging, and the not. The only place where my opinion isn't valid is when you start talking about a presidential race because you can't really do both, unless you have the the ticket and you can have like president, vice president, and you can get someone like a, like I think Vermin Supreme and Spike Cohen teamed up was a very good team because vermin 
would do all of his crazy antics and get the attention, get the eyeballs, get the people there. He was doing fairly big events or just crashing other people's events. Like he would just show up at a Trump rally or a, or an Andrew. He actually got on stage at an Andrew Yang event the day that Andrew Yang dropped out and pitched the entirety of the New Hampshire Yang staff why they should join the LP and work with Vermin's team. And got a number of people, right? Um, but Spike was always there kind of next to him to uh, explain the joke, right? And, um, you know, because Vermin was running on that, like, fake authoritarian platform of mandatory toothbrushing laws and all this other crazy bullshit. But he had Spike next to him to kind of make it work. And so... I think you could end up with something like that um, in the general where where you've got a little bit of both, you know, if like a, a, an Amash Cohen ticket, something like that would be kind of neat. Um, but I, I don't know, because I th there's a reason that I'm not wholeheartedly supporting the candidate that you were just mentioning, but there's also a reason that he's my guest next week, because uh, <laughs> I do like some of the stuff that he's saying and I like some of his resume and I like the fact that he's running and I really like some of the endorsements that he's gotten like um like Epstein and um Napolitano are both people that have haven't even endorsed our general election candidate in years let alone stepping into the fray this early on to back someone so I think that that's kind of neat he's bringing in people that normally wouldn't be in the movement and or uh, within the party, I should say. Um, and I think that's that's should be the general goal of most of the candidates, especially at a high level when there's no chance of you winning. The goal is make the party bigger. And so, you know, I know at least half a dozen people that joined the party because of Chase Oliver. Um, mostly the other two races, not this one, but um, like like he, I know for a fact, I know people that he brought in. I also know people that came in through the Hornberger campaign last time around, who was just a boring, obnoxious like, candidate uh, for a bunch of reasons. And and so I am very much a, like as many different movements and markets that we can get into. You know, I'm still trying to get fr uh, Chris Franzak on the show. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that there is a particular style of messaging that works for the liberty movement because like you mentioned there's just such a wide variety of people that we could be messaging to that could feel at home if they joined the movement and so i'm 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 like a buckshot messaging kind of a person <laughs> yeah no i look i think there is a place for people to do their edge lording I do think there's a place for that. And I wouldn't begrudge people to do that. The problem that I see is when the edge lording becomes representative of the party. I think the party could hold themselves to a higher standard of professionalism and allow those other voices to appeal to the people that they appeal to. Because there's the business of the party and then there's, and then there's the, uh, uh, the emotional connection that you can make with people. And for those people that can be reached by the Reed Coverdales of the world, I would, there's, 
I would never tell Reed that that he should stop doing what he does because the stuff he does makes me laugh. I don't think that it's the type of thing that would um, help Justin Amash get to 5% of the vote. Um, but you know what it might do? It might get uh, people that, you know, that, that were that were either not going to vote or vote for somebody else to start opening up their heart and mind to, uh, you, you know, to what is libertarianism? You know, what is it about? And maybe they start, you know, that journey. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, some of these folks are important because they introduce people to ideas and concepts. My fear is that sometimes people stop too shallow. Uh, you know, it, there's there's that great quote, uh, beware of the man of one book. And I, I feel like in a movement that prides itself in, uh, you know, being about philosophy, um, it, it, it shocks me how little people know about the, uh, you know, the, the, those, those that are supposed to be representative of the movement. Uh, for example, if you're going to name your caucus, uh, the Mises caucus, and you're going to join the caucus, I don't think it's a terrible idea for you to read Mises. I think that would probably be a good starting point to understand what Mises says and not simply just get a regurgitation of what other people in the caucus say, because I, I'm pretty certain if, if we had, if we had to uh, line everyone up and, and, uh, and figure out what they've actually read from Mises, I would bet less than 50% of, of uh, more than 50% of that caucus has never read anything from Mises. I mean, I've only Ever. read like excerpts and stuff. I, I'm I am definitely one of the um, one of the at fault kind of people as to what you're talking about. I've read very little uh, as far as the like classic liberty philosophers go. I'm uh, I'm working through the Anarchist Handbook at the moment uh, as kind of a cheat code because like I, there's no way in hell I'm actually reading all of those books that all of those little uh, things are from. Uh, but I'm just I'm just not that big of a reader. But I definitely I agree that at least they should understand what Mesian philosophy was, which is not the philosophy that the caucus like they should have been the hoppa caucus like let's be real or or or, or the or the rothbard caucus or, one or the other yeah rothbard um, would have been d decent too hoppa might be a little too mean yeah so here's what's interesting i feel like i'm more aligned with with nieces than the caucus is mm -hmm. in, in, in fact i would i would I would say it would be hard to convince me otherwise after hearing the messaging uh, that, that comes from uh, from people that, that just seems very counter uh, to, to, to what Mises uh, talked about. In fact, it, it, when, when you do hear quoting uh, of, of philosophy, a lot of times you do hear the quotes from Rothbard. And and then I and then I wonder, OK, so you're you're Rothbardian. Right. But what Rothbard early Rothbard? Mid Rothbard, late Rothbard. All of because, them are late Rothbard. <laughs> because it's kind of a journey, right? Oh, yeah. There's like when I think of Rothbard, I don't think, hey, this guy's worthless. We should throw him away. I think that he had some great ideas that we should definitely revisit. And then there's some other ideas that I'm like, no, those those are absolutely ideas that you can throw in the trash bin because those are terrible, terrible ideas. And 
and, and when you say that to, I, I call them the Roth Tards, um, they don't like it very much. You know, that's their that's their guy. You can't say anything bad about Rothbard. And and the truth of the matter is, it depends on what version of Rothbard we're talking about. Yeah, no, definitely agreed. I've got a, a comment that says, or the Spooner Caucus, but I'd argue that's the Radical Caucus, uh, if anything. Because, um, mm -hmm. like, Spooner's based. Spooner's one of the few people I actually have read a little bit of. Him and Bastiat. Um, I, I, I like them a lot. But, um, yeah, I I definitely agree. But I also kind of, to your to your earlier point, I think when when people join... We need to have something for them to do, not just things for them to read. Yeah, uh, like I, I do agree that that people could use some more knowledge on the philosophy and stuff. But I think that's too loud of an opinion within the movement currently where you join and it's like, all right, I'm a libertarian now. What should I do? And everybody's like, go home, lock your door, spend 18 months at home while you read these 28 different books. And then you can come back and try to try to talk to us and that creates that problem uh, actually spike was talking about this in the training tonight um, of where we've thought through everything and argued through everything to such a large degree that when we hear something like the but what about the roads it just triggers us uh, and whether it's the roads or anything else just something super simple to us because we've spent a decade digging through all of this philosophy and all of this everything and and on clubhouse and facebook and twitter and all of these different places having all of these arguments out and then we need to just have a 12-minute conversation with somebody on the streets to tell them why they should vote for joe jorgensen for president and we just we don't know how to do that because all we know is how to have 17 hour long clubhouse rooms <laughs> you know <laughs> or or multiple days i i ran rooms there that have lasted uh seven full days uh we we we, we did a room called uh what do social justice warriors want and it lasted seven full days in fact right when it reached seven days complete uh we played some classical music and then we nuked the room and it was over. Nobody even knew that the end of the room was coming. And there was, you know, a couple hundred people in the room. Most of them had been there uh, off and on for the entire week. And that was an interesting experience because you have people left, right, and center talking about social justice warriors. And you can imagine like there was ebbs and flows, different times a day it would get certain, it would get heated. And you'd pull people in from different corners of the earth. And, you know, when you get your, uh, when, when you get your very, very well-informed uh, and articulate Nigerians yelling at people in a way that only a Nigerian can yell at people, it's, <laughs> it's a different, it's a different vibe. And so uh, I just, I love the, the, the diversity that's on Clubhouse just because uh, where on earth are you going to find that d diverse of opinions uh, to come together and then get on a stage and have a conversation with each other about things that um, they they have really deeply polarizing views about. It's it it's uh, I I think Clubhouse really nailed social audio. It's 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 a it's a shame that they didn't uh, nail how to grow the app. Mm -hmm. 
Well, perfect segue back into the social audio stuff. Um, who invited you to Clubhouse? Oh, that's that's amazing. Uh, a buddy of mine who grew up in Oakland. Uh, he's an African American, and uh, it, this is a guy that used to sell dope in Oakland, and uh, he he changed his life. Became uh, started selling T-shirts out of the trunk of his car on the same corner in Oakland that he used to uh, sell crack cocaine. And uh, he became known as the shirt king. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, he became very entrepreneurial. And uh, when he got on the app through invite only, uh, he hit me up and said, hey, you should jump on here. You know, there's a lot of like entrepreneurs. Uh, there's a lot of like sales gurus, you, you'll, you'll fit in well. And so my entry had nothing to do with politics at all. Uh, it, had, it was my buddy that said, yeah, you can, you know, uh, you can get in here and talk to people that are, uh, you know, leading startups and, and uh, you know, VCs. And, and I, was, I was spending the first week or two exclusively in those types of rooms. And then when it got boring, I explored out. And I was like, oh, well, what are these other rooms? Mm. And you start you start popping into a late night room where people are yelling at each other. And, you know, it's like black Hebrew Israelites. That was that was a fun room. Um, you had the flat earthers. You had um, just all these amazing communities where it, it, it felt like Reddit, but uh, but with social audio. Mm. And, and it, it was just a very interesting a mix of things. And I, it, you know, there was a lockdown going on. I was at home, I was bored. And here all of a sudden, all these strange voices and you've got people from all over the world talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Bitcoin was a big thing, NFTs, all of that, all of that jazz. And it, it, it took a while to even uh, stumble upon the idea of like, hey, let's talk politics. That really wasn't what Clubhouse was in the beginning. In fact, that's what it's kind of morphed into and probably to the detriment of the app, to be honest, because uh, when I first stumbled in there, there was a lot of rooms about a lot of different things. And you had some interesting people on there. The Weinsteins would pop in there. Mm. You had... Uh, Lex Friedman would 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 frequent the app. There was a there was a lot of people. Snoop Dogg used to show up. Um, yeah. Dane, Dane Cook. There was a lot. There's a lot of people that people would recognize by name. Peter Schiff is probably one of my favorites that we used to get to come in the room. We would uh, antagonize. Uh, if Peter Schiff showed up, we would change the title of the room to something about. Uh, 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 about Bitcoin and then all the Bitcoin maxis would come in and argue with the gold bug. And so those rooms would be fun, but uh, yeah, it, just a lot, a lot of fun on that app, but now it's just kind of turned into Republicans and Democrats yelling at each other. Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. I mean, I, I experienced some of that, like before the, before the clubs were, Actually, before the clubs were even a thing, I think, because um, those started uh, like a few months into it. Um, but like before the kind of like dividing lines were drawn and the algorithm really figured itself out as to how to echo chamber you into one thing. I was definitely in some I used to just go into like random fucking like late night rooms with just like a bunch of fucking teenagers and 
20 somethings just getting stoned and hitting on each other which is really amusing because you know most people don't even have their real profile like their real picture it's just like some flowers and and the voice is clearly feminine and you've got these like 20 dudes all hitting on this chick who's probably like 380 pounds <laughs> like just some like <laughs> fat ass from kansas or something but you'd never know um it was it was a hilarious uh kind of kind of situation and i still hop into some of those rooms every once in a while because it's fun um but I actually, one of my like fun claims to fame, the person who sent me my invite code was actually a uh, Thomas Massey staffer at the time. Uh, so that was like, he's still on on my profile as that, which is fun. Um, but so I, I got in specifically through the, the kind of politics thing. And I, I think Jess Mears was one of the first people that I followed and, and kind of uh, hung out with on there. Um, and then, of course, Connie and Jimmy and and then like LP Liberty Talk Radio became a thing. And then that was just like all I did. Like, I don't even go into healthy debates all that often anymore. Uh, it's pretty much just LP Talk Radio because um, for me, it's like I, I get my arguing in on Twitter. Um, and if I hop on Clubhouse, it's usually to relax or to just like. I, I like the echo chamber on Clubhouse a little bit because I kind of just go in there to like either talk nothing about any of the drama or just rant about drama to people who will mostly agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? Uh, the, the thing that motivated those political rooms uh, in healthy debates, because healthy debates wasn't really political, to be honest. We were talking about uh, philosophy. We would talk about religion and then politics would come up. And what, what made me really double down on, on the thing with around politics was that I realized that as the political rooms were forming, if I joined a different room, they'd bring me up on the stage as the token libertarian. And then they'd be like, okay, let's hear from the crazy libertarian for like five seconds. And then I'd give whatever contribution that I would have. And then they'd move on to, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, fighting Democrats and Republicans again. And, and they just, you know, every once in a while, they'd want to hear the, you know, what does the crazy libertarian have to say? So then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to host the rooms and bring the, the, bring the people, all the different factions together. And then that way, by me moderating the room, I could then take moderator privilege and, uh, and and call out the BS on both sides. And there was a lot of people that started realizing that like, okay, libertarianism isn't exactly what I thought it was. When kids, they would come into the room and they'd hear me like rag on a Democrat and then they'd be like, oh, you libertarians are so, uh, you know, you're just Republicans that like pot. And then, and then once they hear me, you know, go off and on a rant against the Republicans, they get confused. And, uh, and and then they wanted to learn more. And then what was great is a lot of the people from Healthy Debate started popping in to Liberty Talk Radio. And they they would show up, one or two of them, in a room filled with libertarians. And then they would, you know, depending on who was there, it'd be either a great experience or it'd be a terrible experience. But it was but it was different for them. And, and so I actually uh, missed the days where you could pop in uh, to, to a room with Connie uh, moderating it and, you know, and just, just being a steady hand of, you know, she was always on the app 
always welcoming to anybody, whether she liked them or not. And, uh, and, and, uh, and you had like this full spectrum of, of libertarians. And it wasn't until I would say the road to Reno, uh, when, when people started realizing that like, uh Oh, we're going, it, we're going into battle in Reno. Now everybody's got to, uh, you know, choose a side. And it, it's, it's kind of sad because a lot of people that got along with each other really, really well, the closer we got to Reno, the more that people fought with each other. And then after Reno, nobody wanted anything to do with each other. And so, um, that was kind of the timeline of Liberty Talk Radio going from a really thriving libertarian community where you could have interesting conversations about the party, about the movement, about, about all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and, and then and then all of a sudden it just it became, uh, you know, a mirror of the reality that was happening on the in the party. Yeah, I think uh, Clubhouse was one of the the places that like the Liberty Unity movement actually was able to do some shit, uh, like really shine. Like it, it was an almost exclusively Twitter thing, but Liberty or uh, Clubhouse was the the place that I think it actually was working. And I mean, even like you and I had a few conversations like way 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 early on i remember getting into like a three-on-one with like you and jack casey and somebody else where <laughs> i was defending jbh and the the prague caucus and uh you know especially jack uh who i'm not trying to shit on jack because i love love him to pieces but he he came in through the caucus to a point i don't think he came in specifically through the caucus but he very quickly attached himself to those people um even without joining the caucus it was just that was his friends so he had a very one-sided view of everything that was going on as far as he was concerned he just stepped onto a battlefield and one side was like hey come hide behind our shields and he did <laughs> um and and so like just getting to actually explain some of the oh no this this fight between these two people actually has nothing to do with the party or or politics or anything like that they hate each other because such and such hit a hit on so and so's wife at a state convention four years ago and they've hated each other ever since or something like that that's a real that, that that's an actual example um i kind of like name names but like there's there's plenty of just like stupid normal human drama involved that it was helpful to kind of explain some of that some of the other backstory some of like the why the two caucuses even started neither caucus existed during the gary johnson campaign so nothing that happened there was the fault of either of the sides of this current war um and and like actually getting to kind of and and on both sides you know because i i still hang out with like zach Britt on clubhouse every once in a while or uh you know brianna coyle used to be on there every, every once in a great while um but like other people kind of on that side uh, like jonathan casey i know used to be on clubhouse every once in a while too uh, and so I would do the can, same thing for them, you know. The... Can, can we talk about Brianna Coyle for two seconds? Sure. Maybe, maybe a couple minutes. So uh, you probably know this story, but 
I think that because uh, I had known her on Clubhouse very briefly and then uh, became Facebook friends. And and then there was a group on uh, it was the Libertarian uh, Party or dis- the discussion, discussion group. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, the discussion group that I had created. And she came in and was going off about the Mises Caucus. And I, my experience with the Mises Caucus in my state was that the people were delightful. They were like, they, they were hardworking. They were principled. They were doing good stuff. None of them were crazy. Uh, and, and so when, when she was saying that, oh, they're all bad, they're all this, they're all that, I thought, like, all of them? Like all of them, really? And then when I defended them, she then came at me and like, well, if you're defending them, then you're like them. And and it just, it was so absurd at, to me that, that and it, 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 it annoyed me, I'll be honest. And it was a classic overreaction, but I I, I just snapped out in, in the discussion group and I copied Michael Heiss and I said, hey, can you give me the link uh, to uh, to the to the Mises Caucus donation page. I want to make a donation in the name of Priyana Coyle, and it was a, it was a jerk move for sure. And uh, and then that kind of set off a thing where it was like, all right, well, you know, if you if you're going to say things that are untrue about people that I know, well, then I'm gonna you know I'm gonna align with them because I trust them more than I trust this. But here's what's interesting. Here we are now, a couple years later, I guess. And some of her original criticism, where I still think she was hyperbolic and her messaging, she probably recruited more people into the Mises Caucus than Michael Heiss did. Uh, I, 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 would, I would make that argument. Uh, and I, but here's what I'll say, and here's what I would concede, and I'll, I'll make this as a public apology to her. I don't think she was completely wrong about some people. I think she overstated her case and made it everybody. Mm-hmm. But... Her main concern and uh, of, of about about the intention, the motivation, and, and the character of some of the people was spot on, and and I've realized that now, and and so then you go through this journey and you're like, okay, she was she over she she exaggerated the situation and blamed everybody, but there was some truth to what she was saying, so I'll give her that. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I started some shit on Twitter. Um, what was this yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Um, I posted. Uh, Do y'all think figuratarians will ever realize that them targeting and harassing someone will always end up helping that person? <laughs> <laughs> because I I mean, and the thing. So Brianna and I go back uh, longer than either of our like really giving a whole lot of fucks about the party we became friends back in like i want to say early 2017 we became friends on facebook um and so she knows me well enough to know that a lot of those things even if i had joined the caucus which i never did but even if i had she would she would know better than to accuse me of some of those things right because um, she she knows me on a personal level, but I still got some of that. Well, if you're gonna, um, you know, if if you're gonna defend them, then you're no better than them, and and all of this other stuff. The funny thing is, is I got that from both sides. Um, 
you know, Josh Smith went on a public tirade calling me a fakertarian for about a week and a half. And I lost a couple hundred followers on Twitter, uh, almost 100 subscribers on my YouTube channel. And, um, like, just kind of, like, if you, if you watch my stat, if you could, like, go to the, the back end of my, my YouTube and my Twitter analytics, like, you can see the day that I went on the Fakertarians podcast. Because it's just, like, do 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 I was skyrocketing because I just had, like, that uh, Rabbi Litvin dave Smith debate. And, you know, <laughs> I was going up, going up, going up. And then you can just watch this right down. Um, and because I went on Fakertarians on, like, I want to say they did, like, Sunday night streams. And then I went on LP Pennsylvania Mises Caucus's podcast on, like, the following Tuesday or whatever. And both sides were like, <gasps> you went on a podcast. You're dead to me. And I'm like okay um but like so kind of to to my point of of uh the beauties of clubhouse like that was one of the the few places where i didn't lose a single follower on clubhouse right i didn't lose a single friend on clubhouse uh i didn't i didn't any i didn't hurt at all on clubhouse because of this shit because everyone on clubhouse had heard me shit talk both sides had heard me give a principled reasonable stance on why i'm shitting on both sides and they might not like me they might not like what i have to say but they understand that i am not definitely like a hundred percent in the opposite camp from them uh but on twitter you know a lot of people follow someone after only seeing two or three tweets and then depending on how the algorithm wants to work they might only see a couple more tweets from you before they see someone else tweet about you calling you a shitty person and it's like oh i guess i shouldn't have followed them uh and then you unfollow them you know and that's just kind of how how twitter works uh, so yeah i it's funny i actually got two separate phone calls the day that you did that though <laughs> Uh-oh, uh-oh. Tell me about it. Well, because I got a phone call from both Brianna and Tom Queter. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, he was just like, I don't I don't even know what to do here. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um Tom, Tom just yeah. wanted it all to it all to go away. Tom Queter to 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 his credit has always kind of been in the same camp as me of like you guys are both dumb. You guys both have points. Shut the fuck up. Um, he took he he wasn't even liberty unity. He was just straight up like, I don't care about any of this. I'm just gonna do my thing, uh, which I respected a lot. Yeah, I I actually remember speaking to Tom about it, and I don't I don't want to uh, reveal the 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 private nature of the conversation, but he was very um, he was very transparent about. Uh, you know, his warm feelings for her and that he wanted me to continue helping his campaign. And, but I think there was just, there was too much. Uh, and, and so I, I, I had to not help the campaign and, and that wasn't, that wasn't Thomas's call. Um, that was, that was more her call, but he was going to back her up because, you know, that's, it, he, he wanted it to work out. And the bottom line was, it's like, 
I wasn't going to back off my position. She wasn't going to back off her position. And that was not going to work out to help out a campaign, which, which sucked because I, I would have liked to have helped Tom more than, than I was able to. Yeah. See, this is one of the reasons that I'm actually like still a little bummed out that my, my ex and I eloped instead of actually having the wedding we were planning on having. And, you know, maybe God willing, there's somebody else down the road. Um, that maybe this can happen but when my ex and i started planning our wedding my wedding party was brianna coyle as my best man reed coverdale and ben heckman with sasha cohen officiating (laughs) it was gonna be a shit show (laughs) wow but a beautiful wonderful shit show because i mean those are like four out of my five best friends. The the other one being Tom Pinkasov, who was planning the thing, because uh, he's he's an event planner. Um, so like yeah, my my best friends are like three Fakertarians and three hardcore Meekocks, and or I should say two Fakertarians, because Tom isn't actually that far th- over there. But like you know, he was running um Tony DeRazio's campaign for chair at the time. So <laughs> definitely not Mises Caucus. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was really excited for an opportunity to just get Reed and Brianna drunk, having a good time, and prove to them that they neither one of them are shitty people. Uh, like, if the Libertarian Party didn't exist at all, Sasha Cohen and Reed Coverdale would get along so great. They're they're both super fucking racist. Um, they both have so one of like the most like deranged senses of humor I I've out of anyone I know, and it's why they're two of my better friends. You know, <laughs> like it's great. Um, and I'm using racist a little bit hyperbolically, but like I have never heard anyone drop as many hard R's as Sasha Cohen. Like by far the leader in my friend group. And he is the fakertarian. Eh, the music caucus are all racist. Meanwhile, he's over here dropping the N-word like on a regular. Um, so just like the hypocrisy and the stupidity of all of that, I was just like, can't all of my friends just be friends? You know, sometimes it's the vector, right? It, it, meeting with people in real life is one experience. Meeting people on social audio is another experience. Uh, and then Twitter is this other world. And, you know, I'll, I'll bring up something. I, I don't have to go into all the details, but you're part of a, a, a group where we private message each other. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there, I would say, I wouldn't even say it got heated, but there was definitely some disagreement um, that, that uh, and, and you were on one particular side. Uh, and, and Jacob Johnson, who honestly, I don't know if I know a nicer guy in the movement. Um, he and I, great guy. we, we've met on clubhouse. We spent quality time in Reno together. I think of this guy as a brother. And like, when he told me to F off in a Twitter message, I thought to myself, like, you know, this would never happen in a long form conversation on clubhouse. This would never happen 
uh, face to face. This is the dynamic of sending these these messages where you're typing it out and you, you know and you're sending it off and then people read it without you know the inflection or the the, the ability to actually have a conversation. And so I like I'm not faulting him for for telling me to f off. I, I, maybe I even deserved it. Probably not. If I went back, I was probably right because I usually am. But 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 I think away, you deserved it. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that's fair. But but my bigger point is. There's no chance in hell that if that would have happened on 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 social audio or face to face, that it ever would have got to that. Because if I would have realized that I was annoying him to that point, I would have backed off. And mm. and 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 I and I just can't imagine him saying that to me, you, you know, like uh, you know, in in a different setting. And so so, but that that just what it highlights to me is the difference of the communication, uh, you know, methods that we use. Twitter it brings out a different side of people. And, and, and again, I like, I, I, I have no uh, caveats to this. I still think of even after him telling me to F off, uh, I, I still think he's one of the greatest people in this movement. And uh, I still consider him a brother, but um, you know, he'll apologize eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the key thing there is like first impressions or, or at least first, couple impressions because uh, once you do i mean th this kind of your your story that you just told is kind of an, an exception to what i'm about to say but in most cases if you know somebody in person uh they're less likely to, you're you're significantly less likely to take them the wrong way or get pissed off by something that they say through text or on twitter or something like that so even even if it, you're just going to like your state convention and national convention every other year or something like that, where you get to meet most of these people, uh, like do that. It, at least one solid in-person interaction is necessary to like, then, then, then you can go on to just be like online friends. Like Reed and I, for instance, like we met in person. We met before either of I. I think we both had a Twitter account, but we were both at like thirty something followers. Uh, neither of us had a podcast. Neither of us gave a shit about any of that yet. Like this was all way before that because we met. We met in twenty nineteen. Um, and so I actually used to think he was kind of weird. The first couple times I met him, I was just like, "Who's this like?" super tall autistic dude that just like kind of hangs out in the back um but he was like one of the hardest working volunteers that we had on the tulsi campaign and you know he was one of our like four or five people that we called super volunteers um and you know if ever you needed anything that he had like fit into his work schedule he was there he was doing it he was knocking doors in 15 degree weather in a almost blizzard he was out putting up yard signs in people's houses like way up north where none of us wanted to go you know he was just absolutely crushing it so that was my initial experience of reed coverdale was like one of the only other principled libertarians on the tulsi gabbard campaign like in, in a heavy important capacity and you know 
uh, in one of the last days that I was in New Hampshire, we took, I want to say four or five uh, other volunteers that were all between the ages of like 17 and 21 who had never shot a gun before and who were all, you know, on Tulsi's side of the gun control issue, you know, like the background checks and some, uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit of regulation here and there. You know, we don't we don't need something. They're obviously not Second Amendment absolutists yet until we put an AR-15 in their hand. They're <laughs> like, so you still <laughs> want to ban these guys? <laughs> um, and the drive home was a significantly different conversation than the drive up. It was uh, mind boggling. And then he turned around and, and brought dozens and dozens of people from the Tulsi Gabbard campaign into the Liberty movement and into the Libertarian Party. Um, I mean, there's there's some, a couple of people in the live chat of this conversation that came in were, were Tulsi to to read to Hornberger. Um and now we're you know active members of the party and so when people started hurling all these stupid insults at him for being part of a specific friend group there was no way in fucking hell that i was going to buy into any of that um and similarly with brianna we've hung out in person more times than i can count hours and hours and hours of time um and so like it just you kind of build up this buffer of and actually i guess to my point you still said that Jacob is one of the nicest guys in the movement. If you had never interacted with him on Clubhouse and you just knew him from Twitter and then you had that interaction, I'm sure you would have a very different opinion of him. You know? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good point. No, he, you, you, you spend a little bit of time, you get to know who they are. And, and look, the, the disagreement that we have, I don't think we're going to get past that one because it's a pretty wide disagreement. But, um, there's other topics. <laughs> There's, you know, that's that's not the only thing for you know for us to discuss. And and so, um, you know, I'm unapologetic on my position, and so we see. So it is what it is. I think like his position wasn't even entirely anti yours. It was almost exactly what you just said. Of like, there's other things to worry about. Um, was I think the overarching point that he was trying to make. Uh, then, then he he kind of bought into uh, and and started arguing alongside uh, me and Winograd and some of the others in the chat. But um, his initial comment was just, "I don't give a fuck." There's other more important things, and like that's that's kind of where I'm at with most of the arguments, whether that's like trans kids or uh, like uh fucking the the book club the drag queen story hour type shit or or if it's uh you know russia ukraine or israel palestine or, or really most of the issues i that are currently being talked about on a wide scale i don't care about i care about uh you know like the people who are getting kicked out of their houses because of made up zoning laws and stuff like that um even to bring it back to reed again um he has a camper that he was living in in his backyard for most of the summer and just for shits and giggles i guess i don't even really know why um and the town was like yeah no you can't do that 
you're not zoned to have two living uh, buildings on your property. You can only have one. So that's your house. So you can't live in your camper on your property. It's just fucking dumb. Luckily, he had a house. But one of the causes that we just had with You Are the Power was similar situation. But the person was living in a camper because their house had just burnt down and they were rebuilding. And the town was like, yeah, no, you can't live in a camper because you have a house on your property. It's like, but we actually don't. It's burnt to the ground and we're rebuilding it. Uh, and, you know, they they started fighting this person and, and tried to arrest her once and like all of this other crazy shit. Like that's so much more like on at the front of my mind than any like ideological philosophical battle. Me personally, at least. Yeah, there the, there are some things uh, that that are deal breakers for me, specifically as it comes to the party itself. Um, I I'm not a fan of the way that the party messages i i as i think you know i i left the party uh, the the big problem that i see and and i don't want to get too too deep into uh you know the rabbit hole of uh, of what's going on in, in in israel but just once i would love to see them say free the hostages like, can you not say free the hostages? Like, that seems to me like a pretty fundamental infringement on liberty. And you can't say free the hostages. And and it, it, it seems like, it seems like the if, if, if you are a dictator starting a war or a terrorist organization, that uh, that is committing uh, barbaric acts, uh, you know, depravity that that I've never seen in my lifetime. There are those in this party that have more smoke for those that fight against tyrants and terrorists than there is for the tyrants and the terrorists, and that to me is very problematic because I just do not. I do not buy into this idea that some people are peddling where they go out there and they go, oh, well, I'm anti-war. Well, some wars are worth fighting. And, you know, I'll say that again. Some wars are worth fighting. In fact, if people think that wars aren't worth fighting, let's just try to imagine what would have happened if if the allies wouldn't have fought against Germany, my grandfather would have been a lampshade or speaking German. Some wars are worth fighting. Some wars are worth winning. And I, I you know, I don't buy, I don't, I do not believe that saying you're anti-war is an accurate representation uh, of the non-aggression principle. In fact, when somebody initiates force against you, and you refrain from calling that out, but then all of your energy is focused on those that are retaliating, I think that we have a, a problem with moral clarity. And again, I don't want to bait you into an argument about this, but that's my problem with the Libertarian Party and their messaging around this. I think that they're on the wrong side of history. Yeah, I mean, I 
my my opinion on that specific thing i mean we've we have gone gone at it a few times uh off screen but like um i i i think that both like that you might see this as a cop-out but i think both sides are tyrannical and evil like there's there is no saving grace for the israeli government and even if we want to go back to like what would we have done uh, or like should we have gotten into like the world wars and stuff like that like we didn't get into most wars until it hit home until there was actually an attack on u.s soil or u.s citizens and there still has not been that yet um last time it happened it was the israeli government that actually did the thing look up uss liberty um and so like i just i don't have much love for either side of that conflict and and personally this is this all goes back to like my very religious upbringing i don't believe in all that stuff anymore but like I still believe the whole like there won't be peace there until the end times. I I honestly still believe that whether or not that's like the actual like Christian rapture tribulation style end times or some other kind of one world government tyrannical something or a nuclear apocalypse or or something else like that. I just you can't you can't mediate between two people that think that this land was given to them by their god like that that's just where i'm at like they both sides think that this is like a divine mission and you, you're just not gonna convince either side that it's not and so i don't i don't see the point in picking a side of that because well, I d disagree with both. I don't believe in either of their gods. I've never believed in either of their gods. I used to think that Jews were stupid for not realizing that Jesus was their Messiah. And, I mean, I grew up basically an Islamophobic asshole because, you know, 9-11 was one of the first things that I remember. Um, And so, like, I mean, I grew up a very, like, Tulsi Gabbard-esque, like, annihilate the, the radical is islamic people like they don't have a place in our earth so like obviously i don't believe that anymore but like that that was definitely how i was raised and so a lot of this specific issue kind of just goes back to that of just like i'm not i'm not there and what the the, the i'll bring up say one more thing about this and then i do actually i have another question for you and i don't want to spend too much time on this topic but like yeah. the thing that actually bothers me is the like uh super like radical christian like evangelicals who are very like pro-israel like the ones that 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 is almost entirely like a we want the end of the world stance because like that's what they believe they believe that if either side ends up actually being victorious here that's what kicks off the literal end of the world and that's what they're championing is that we want this to be seen as finally the full jewish homeland and for there to be peace there because then god jesus can come back and then the world will end and i just see that as like a really shitty take personally 
especially yeah, well, as someone who doesn't believe that that's going to be a good thing in the end like they think um but yeah <laughs> well well cer certainly as a deist i'm not in the camp of uh accelerating the apocalypse uh for the returning of jesus that is not my position that's certainly not my horse in the race right. um the, the only thing that i would end with on, on that on that topic is that uh, I've grown to appreciate a great deal uh, that if you're going to practice a religion, uh, not proselytizing is a good idea. I, I, I think that uh, if people uh, want to practice a faith voluntarily, I think that's a pretty good thing. And I think proselytizing uh, is is maybe the beginning of problems. And and you know that's not that's not me going. Uh, you know, anti-Islam or anti-Christianity, it's, it's anti-proselytizing. I think mm -hmm. that, I think it's a bad idea. And, um, and so with that, I, I, I respect those that don't do it. Yeah, I actually, that, this is a, a fun topic. I want to stay on this actually. Um, Cause I think that that's one of the things that I have a problem with a lot of libertarians on as well. And uh, I've actually, I had a, a pretty, heated back and forth with Winograd on Twitter a couple months back um, because I would uh, you know he was trying to say that like Christianity is true like anarchy like realized because um, I, th I tweeted something about um, anarchy is Taoism uh, corrupted by Western political ideology um and he said, like, you spelled Christianity wrong. And I was like, no, because you can't you can't have the Crusades if you're an anarchist. You can't have the like Salem witch trials if you're an anarchist. You can't have any of the terrible things that have been done in the name of God or even mo a good chunk of the quote unquote good things that can be done in the name of God. If you actually believe a true live and let live ideology, then there is absolutely no reason for you to be screeching on a street corner calling people sinners. You know, Westboro Baptist Church cannot there the the Venn diagram of that with anarchy is is two circles way over both outside the screen, you know, like there's there's just no crossover there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people came into the LP still with this kind of mindset of, you know, I must convince everyone to have the same fundamental philosophy as I do. Otherwise, I'm not doing it right or they're not doing it right. And I, I just think that entire mindset is bullshit. <laughs> you know, okay. So here's, I, I agree uh, in principle, but here's my caveat. I think the Dallas Accord was a mistake. I don't believe that anarchists and libertarians are the same thing. It doesn't mean that we can't be friends. It doesn't mean that anarchists can't be anarchists and libertarians can't be libertarians. But what it does mean is that people that don't believe 
in in uh, in uh, in having a government, to me, it makes no sense that they want to be involved in a political party. It, that to me makes no sense. And I've heard the arguments of like, well, we're going to use the system to bring about uh, what what we want. That, that sounds like what 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 uh, uh, Islamists say when they talk about Sharia law. It, 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 it's and and first of all. This, uh, this idea that anarchists spell out, it doesn't sound that appealing to me. You know, uh, oh, hey, we're going to have, we're going to have dueling security agency. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Great idea. And, and then you're still going to have an arbiter of justice, right? Somebody is going to, uh, to, to make decisions to enforce contracts, right? Are we not going to have contracts? Yeah, we're going to have contracts. So you're going to have somebody uh, that's going to be a judge. And so I don't know, man. I look. I, I'm not going to tell anarchists that they shouldn't be anarchists. I'm going to just say that I'm not one, and I certainly don't think a political party. Um, it, if I were an anarchist, the last thing in the world that I would be advocating for is is for getting elected to government. Hey, hey, I'm an anarchist, but I want to run for city council. You want to be in the city government? I'm going to run for state assembly. You want to be in the state government? I'm going to run for president, but I'm an ANCAP. Wait, you're, you're an anarcho-capitalist, but you want to be the president uh, heading the national, the federal government of the United States, the biggest empire on the planet ever. That's what you want. You want to be the leader of that. Oh, no, but I don't intend to win. Then why are you doing it? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I, and, and again, I know that that sounds like heresy to an anarchist. And I know that, that the anarchists come from my throat. When I say this, I get it. I get it. All I'm saying, and I'm saying, you can have your anarchy. But what? how come we don't see more anarchists uh, doing what the, the Amish do? Like, like where's... Where, where's your anarchist compound? Like, go do it. You don't need to show up into the political party and pay your membership dues and say that you're going to help somebody with their political campaign if what you really want is no government. I just, like, I, I just, I can't square those things. I just don't understand anarchists that want to be at a political party. End of rant. So I will say to the, like, just go and do it thing, um, Ruby Ridge, Waco, plenty of other uh examples of what happens when people do try to go and just fuck off and not participate in the government process they get they get murdered um so i think that there is some legitimacy to trying to stop people from getting murdered um but i'll i'll half concede to what you're saying because i think i think it's like a the, the like circle or square rectangle thing of like uh anarchists are libertarians libertarians aren't anarchists um i think the the term libertarian is an overarching umbrella that contains both minarchy and anarchy um into one ideology but where i will definitely agree with you is that the lp shouldn't be preaching anarchy because that doesn't make sense you can have an anarchist like Spike Cohen running for office preaching libertarianism and that works. Um, but you can't, I don't think, I don't think you should run for office as an anarchist per se like that. I think that's kind of dumb. And, 
uh, so I'll, I'll agree with I'll agree with you like halfway on that one because there is like I don't know there's there's still some legitimacy to electoral politics I don't participate in it anymore but I still think that there's some legitimacy to you know if I got elected mayor of my town I could definitely make this a much more libertarian freer better place to live I could make it to where the Oswego Police Department wasn't arresting people for things that aren't even illegal in the state of New York and haven't been for 20 years, which is a real thing. Like, I've been put in handcuffs for owning a, a controlled weapon, uh, which was a butterfly knife, which isn't illegal in the state of New York. It's not classified as a gravity blade. It's not illegal. It's not regulated. It's not anything. It's it's treated like a, like a regular jackknife. Um, and I had to argue with my pol- the police chief of my town sitting handcuffed in their like holding pen with their handbook proving to them where the law states that the, what they were trying to arrest me for wasn't even illegal. And it took, you know, six hours of my life sitting in a fucking holding cell arguing with a bunch of different cops about the laws of my town. So like if I was elected mayor, I could fire the police chief would be the first thing that I did because they're fucking moron um, demand the resignation of probably two thirds of the poli- current police department because I've witnessed almost all of them just huge civil rights violations and like personal rights violations um, and you know enact some good change and it wouldn't be anarchy but it would be better right um, and so I think that there is some legitimacy to that. Uh, but like I said, I do agree that we can't – that can't be the first thing that people hear from a politician. It can be the first thing that people hear from a Facebook account or a YouTube or something like that. Like there are plenty of people that will jump – like skip libertarian and go all right into anarchist, and that's cool. But the kind of people that are paying attention to campaigns – aren't gonna be anarchists right away like like me i was a libertarian for five years before i was an anarchist um and i found the libertarian party because of people like gary johnson who are preaching libertarianism and principled reasonable libertarianism um so yeah i i i think that anarchists can be in the party they just shouldn't be in control of the messaging and the messaging shouldn't be directed towards finding more anarchists yeah um yeah i i agree i agree they should not be in charge of the messaging uh we have a comment this went off the rails and i hate you both now (laughs) from jacob stevens well jacob stevens uh can hate us but uh i i would uh i i would advocate for his right to be an anarchist if that's what he is uh and and if i had to make a distinction between uh and caps and and comms i would hope that he would embrace capitalism but uh i will say this i don't think capitalism needs to be watered down with this um this uh this this utopian fantasy i think capitalism is perfectly fine on its own without uh, without anarchy I think that the only way that you actually get pure capitalism is with anarchy, because as soon as the government's involved, it's no longer a free market. 
Interesting. Interesting. How do you um, how do you protect uh, property rights? How do you protect contracts? How do you um, how do you how do you enforce um, uh, laws around disputes that uh, that would arise? So I'm personally uh, I'm a fan of that, like, which let me caveat this real quick. So to me you can have any amount of system that you want as long as i have the ability to peacefully opt out of it it's still considered anarchy right um and so my my personal ideas are similar to I mean, you alluded to it earlier of like you know the the different uh, options basically for stuff like that i just i don't think that it I think that there's a bunch of people that have different kind of uh, like foundational, you know, priority sets, what they care about, what they believe in, what they want in their life. And I don't think it should, I don't think that it has to do with physical location that much, right? Um, and so I believe that there should be, or, you know, if, push the the fight button abolish the government create the perfect like anarchist utopia thing that i would want to create it would have a couple of different options to choose from as far as who your legal kind of oversight came from whether you care like super heavily about you know intersectional justice or something like that um, or do you care super heavily about, um, you know, proactive kind of methods of things? Uh, or, or are you more of like, a, you know, you never throw the first punch kind of a person and, and everything should just be reactive? I think there's a bunch of different ways that people think that the legal system should work. And I think that multiple versions of that could be working simultaneously. And... You know, you just, if you and I both voluntarily are part of the same arbitration system or even the arbitration system that I'm a part of has a partnership with the arbitration system that you're a part of, then you and I can enter into a contract together and it would be, uh, you know, if you break the contract, then you and I have already agreed at the signing of the contract that this is the person who's going to hear the case if one of us breaks it. Um, and like, especially if you're talking about like contract law, I think that that's very easy to do because it, it I mean, it's just one extra step in that, that contract signing. But if you have a contract with somebody, that means that at least at one point in time, you guys were friendly, reasonable, and agreeable and could agree on, we're gonna have, like if something goes wrong, this is who, mediates this issue right um like especially contract law i think is the the place that that's the easiest where where that starts to fall apart is you know if somebody just randomly breaks into your house who is who is should arrest them for that or or charge them for that and so i got a, i got a question for you so you you said that uh there could be i guess an authority i think that's how you framed it uh, as long as you could opt out of it. 
Now, let's say you were to opt out of whatever this authority figure might be. Uh, let's call it government, whatever it might be. But you have the ability to opt out. And, and let's say you value property rights because, you know, that, that's an important thing. And you've decided to create your own compound. Let's even call it Waco. Let's 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 say you're a Branch Davidian and you go to Waco, Texas, and um, and you believe you're minding your own business. You you know you have firearms, which I don't think that should be a problem. Uh, I, my, my big problem with Waco was that why was the ATF there? Uh, who probably should have showed up though? Uh, and and my and this would be my question for you is that. If you opt out of the system in the structure that has rules that says you can't physically abuse or sexually abuse children, which was what was happening at Waco, Texas, at least allegedly, right? We, 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 they didn't get a trial, and 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 so I don't agree with the with, with the outcome of of what happened there. However, would you then, if uh, if you were on a compound that opted out of society's rules that said that you can't do those things? Do you think that it would be inappropriate for for the authority figure to say, hey, there are children, we have allegations of children being abused. We need to figure that out. Now, you have your property rights. You, you can't come on my property. I've opted out of your rules. Do you think it's unreasonable for the authority figure to think think of uh, protecting children and investigating that and perhaps bringing you to justice if there's, uh, you know, if, if, if they can prove that, uh, you know, that children are being harmed? Because again, I think some people forget that, especially in libertarian circles, they forget that what some of the allegations was. It wasn't just uh, religious freedom. It wasn't just property rights. And it wasn't just gun rights. There was also allegations of sexual abuse. And, and, and so, uh, when I think of Waco, uh, I, I would I would wonder what would what would anarchists say um, to an authority figure that wanted to make sure that uh, no harm is being done to children. I think that pretty much ev oh, I don't want to say every. Let's say that a solid majority of all tyranny ever inflicted on a constituency of people was done in the name of protecting children so i think that that's a really like mushy line to try to draw because it will almost always get abused like even if, if you if you caveat like i i want anarchy but except for this one thing especially that one thing is because let's also like you said there wasn't a trial there was never actually any proof that that was happening in Waco, there's still no proof that that was happening in Waco. So for all we know, that was just completely made up to justify burning children alive instead. Uh, well, they did have testimony from ex-members that that, that that said that it was happening. Now, uh, But they also it, have testimony from ex-members that said that it wasn't. That That's true, but in, in a sane society, when you have those type of allegations, you would investigate that, wouldn't you? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that it is completely reasonable for the the town of Waco to say, hey, there's this little compound just outside of our downtown that's raping kids. Let's go figure out if that's actually happening or not. And like kind of to your point, like some some wars are worth fighting. I, I think that at that point it kind of becomes 
a similar situation to what would currently be considered an international war where it's like okay these guys are uh, definitely confirmed doing this bad shit um they won't let us like rescue the kids or anything they're like we've been completely shut off i think that yes there is there is a reasonable initiation of force upon somebody who is already you know initiating force on other people um i you know i've i've only been in three fights in my entire life all three of them i stepped into an already existing fight to protect a smaller person from getting their absolute ass beat two out of the three times i got my ass beat instead but that's beside the point right um at least the like the women involved didn't get their ass beat and i did instead and so i could still consider that a win um so yeah i i think that there is validity to that and we see that in everyday life and you would see that in, in everyday life no matter what kind of a system we lived in because um, it's been a thing for most of humanity where if you see somebody getting bullied or, or picked on or abused or something like that it is in my opinion the correct human thing to do to step in um, I just don't think that that uh, hypothetical justifies the existence of an entire governmental system that is going to murder kidnap and steal from their constituency f until the end of time because that hypothetical might happen where it would still and again in my mind be reasonable for people outside of the situation to step in like you can you can just you can have that still within anarchy Yeah, yeah. I it gets me it gets me right back to square one of why would these anarchists want to participate in an election process? It just so that we boggles. can maybe get a little bit less murdered, kidnapped, and stolen from in the interim before we get there. Now, I personally, I think that the people that think that we are going but, to but what you just did was advocated for for minarchy. Yeah. I mean in in the in the interim I'm I would much rather have minarchy than what we have right now. And and I think almost every anarchist would agree, at least any anarchist that's ever stepped foot in the LP um would agree that like any amount of liberty is better than what we've got right now. So, uh, yeah, I I would much rather have minarchy than republicratism. Mm. Yeah, I, I just always struggle with the idea of how are you going to protect these individual rights and the property if you don't have, if you don't have the 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 proper resources to do that. And how are so, you going to protect individual rights and property if uh, there exists a monopoly on force that you can't control that every single time it has ever happened in all of human history has gotten more and more tyrannical refused to give up any of the power that it's gotten and murdered its own citizens without a single exception mm. Mm. so can you can you tell me with with um 
certainty that if you didn't have a government, that because we, we have to talk about what would you compare it to? What was what would the world be like if you didn't have well what, what would what would a country be like if they didn't have the ability to protect their borders? What would a country be like if they didn't have uh, the the uh, you know the police and the courts to protect against criminality? And 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 when anarchists start saying, oh well, we don't we could do that without a government, they start describing things that sound exactly like what the government provides. But the option, the the difference between anarchy and minarchy is a very quick capitalistic market driven uh, fix to a problem of uh, like government overreach versus an unfixable version that unless you're Canada and the nicest people on the planet, you're not going to get out of peacefully ever. Like, no government has ever elected themselves into freedom. No, like, that's that's just not a thing. There have been a few other, like, peaceful annexes from empires. Canada's not the only example there. But, like, as uh, pretty much across the board, every single government has gotten worse until it collapsed. Just period. There, There isn't a simple... Oh well, these guys are getting tyrannical, so we're just going to switch over to AT and T instead of Verizon, and then you know, singular wireless. When was the last time you heard about them? They fucking went under because they fucking sucked. They were charging people dumb fees. They were had spotty reception. They didn't have good phones. They didn't work well with the iPhones when they first came out, and so they died out. And so that. That's a, a just a market-driven solution to the problem of uh, tyranny, rather than having to take up arms against your government. So how? how <laughs> Jacob then, says he likes us both again. <laughs> how then do do anarchists uh, explain? Um, how do I want to frame this? <sighs> How would anarchists have, uh, how would they deal with the idea that, uh, that a foreign government, let's say nuclear powered governments uh, with, with, with nuclear arsenals, how would we defend against nuclear subs and, uh, and, and uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles? I, so for the record, I don't think we get to anarchy without some very, very large disaster that renders that point moot. Like, like genuinely, like I don't think that there is ever a world where just the United States becomes anarchist. I don't think that there, that's even possible. I think right. that I think. So what would be the point of advocating for it then? Um, I don't. That's why I'm in the Libertarian Party, and I most of the time when I'm talking to people, I, um, I'm I'm talking just harm reduction and getting to a little bit better of a place. It's it's when you know you 
people actually ask me on the, the philosophical topics like you are, it's the only time that I ever really get this this defensive. Like I, I only I only argue this with other libertarians, right? Like I don't I don't go up to a Democrat and say we should have anarchy. Uh, I go up to a Democrat and say we should have legalized psilocybin because what the fuck, right? Um, but then you you can when you take it to its logical conclusion every time it's well why is psilocybin illegal because government made it that way uh yeah why why do curriculums in schools suck so goddamn bad because government made it that way uh yeah almost every problem that anybody that i talk to on a day-to-day basis is complaining about i can point back to almost always a reagan platform blank um I love it's something that's gotten really popular on TikTok. Is that like every every human problem is only like three degrees of separation away from Reagan, <laughs> or, or less, something like that. Um, and so, like I, to to me the the biggest argument against anarchy is that something like what we currently have might come up out of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's not to to me that's not a really good argument against anarchy. That's just saying that it's not perfect. Which I don't. I've never. I I'm not a utopian anarchist. Like I don't think that anarchy would be the perfect system where there's no murder and there's no theft and and everybody lives happily ever after, hunky dory. I just think anarchy is a system where the absolute worst tragedies imaginable aren't possible you know you don't get the holocaust without a government system you don't get the um you know space on what it was called in russia um without government you don't get the evilness of communism without government and you can see that through like ancom compounds that work super well and and even like full anarchist countries that existed for hundreds of years and even currently there's a few unoccupied by a government plots of land throughout the country that or throughout the world that are operating okay um you know it's only when you get a totalitarian dictator controlling capitalism that it's like yeah no this is never going to fucking work and obviously like totalitarian capitalism i think works better than totalitarian communism but both authoritarian systems suck and both systems work better without the government um so so here's here's the issue that i have right it's if i'm talking to uh your everyday folk your democrats your republicans your independents and if i walk them through the world that i would like to see and how i think that government would best be run they think i'm a radical when i say that i want to separate government from education and separate government from banking and separate government from the market completely and separate it from healthcare, uh and the only thing that would be left in the world that i would like to see would we would have a military we would have a police force and we would have a court system because i think that is the uh minimum institutions required by an authority figure to be able to protect against uh, foreign foes, domestic foes, and be able to handle disputes. And 
what's interesting is that when we get into all of the things that I would want to remove, somebody that's not an anarchist is going to say that I'm the anarchist. And then, and then, and then, and then if I get in a conversation with an anarchist and I say, no, 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 I do believe that we should have a government and they should, uh, you know, fight like heck to protect rights life and property and in order to do that here's what i envision they would need in order to be able to protect those things and then anarchists are like oh you're a statist <laughs> and it's like and so that's the to me the fun the funny conversation is that to most of the world i am an anarchist and then my position is that i think anarchists are delusional and, and and so I'm stuck in this no man's land. I can't win because the statists don't like my ideas and the anarchists think that I'm a statist. So like, I got no home at all. Now you know how I felt in the caucus war. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hey, let's, let's table this for a minute. Let's do wrap ups. And then what do you say we do a clubhouse after party and we can let some of the people in the, the chat chime in and and keep this this debate going a little bit more yeah let's do it let's um, do it all right so tell people uh where to find you where to find healthy debates anything cool that's coming up with you guys yeah so uh actually just uh it's just got a domain for healthydebates.org. uh haven't built out the website yet uh but that will allow us to be able to have one place to let everyone know like are we doing something on uh, on, on Twitter, are we doing something on Clubhouse, uh, maybe even on things like Fanbase, that's a whole if different uh, type of environment over there, but pretty much anywhere where social audio is happening, including uh, we'll probably start doing things e even on YouTube vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, uh, you know, Zoom. Uh, and so th there's there's a lot of different ways that we can do this. So the best way to follow me is uh, Real Roger Mayhem is my handle uh, everywhere. And so uh, if you follow me, you'll you'll find the rooms that we're doing. And if you uh, the again, the site's not up now, but uh, uh, healthydebates.org is coming soon. The website is coming soon. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Fuck yeah. All right, guys, uh, we're going to do a quick sponsorship bit, and then I'll come back in a second to, to do the outro. But first off, uh, not that sponsor. This sponsor, Crafton Business Services. Crafton uh, is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs start, grow, and maintain their businesses by providing a wide variety of products, services, and more to make your business more efficient, manageable, and profitable. And they understand how frustrating getting your business off the ground can be. And that's why they've put together their business in a box solution to turn your idea or side hustle into a fully functioning company in one place for one transparent cost. For under $1,000, you get your corporate filing, registered agents, a logo, business cards, marketing strategy, and accounting consultation, all to get you started off on the right foot. And that's just $9.99 plus state theft. And uh, if you're looking for a little bit more than that, you can add a custom website, web hosting, more marketing materials, more time with the marketing team, more of the bookkeeping services, and your first box of business cards for just $24.99, again, plus state theft. And if you already have a business, Crafton can help you grow to new levels with targeted marketing campaigns, affiliate programs, website and social media redesigns, and more. Or they can help make your business less of a headache with streamlined accounting, tax prep, and compliance. 
all of that is over at crafted.us and if you use the promo code fsm you get a really cool t-shirt if you get one of those business in a box platforms um we're we're working out how the promo code works out for some of the other stuff but we definitely would appreciate it if you use that promo code because then that gives the network credit for the sale and helps keep the lights on over here but guys thank you so 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 much for watching roger thanks so much for coming um everybody come on back next week we've got uh presidential candidate michael rechtenwald coming on followed up by uh mayoral candidate in boise idaho joe evans uh, his campaign will be over by the 15th but we'll talk about all of the cool things that he did and how he was able to reach out and and gain support and voters and things and he's just a really cool guy he's been on the show a couple of times now so really looking forward to having him back but definitely come on back check us out but until then keep up the fight